Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Okay, my name is Ken Jenkins. I'm an elder here at Covenant. We're finishing up our series on the Psalms today, and the Psalm that I chose is Psalm 2. Now, the Psalms are 150 ancient Hebrew poems, psalm, songs, and prayers from all throughout Israel's history. And they're the book that is most quoted in the New Testament. So it's, the, it's an Old Testament book that is most quoted in the New Testament. A total of 68 times. Um, second place is Isaiah with 55. Uh, Psalm 2 itself is quoted seven times in the New Testament. So would you pray with me? Lord, help us by your grace to hear you speaking in this psalm. Lord, that our hearts and lives might be changed by that hearing. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. So here's a preview of what to expect in this psalm. It's going to be earth-shaking. There is a conspiracy theory involved. Uh, And there are identity politics. And I'm going to tell you whose side politically God is on. So stay tuned for that. Before we get into Psalm 2, I want to go to Acts uh, chapter 3. And this is one of those places I said where Psalm 2 is quoted in the New Testament. There's seven places. And this is the story of Peter and John going to the temple. They encounter uh, a beggar. He's been lame since birth. And uh, every day his friends carry him to this spot where he can beg for alms. And Peter and John come by and uh, he reaches out to them and says, hey, you know, you got any spare change? And they go, well, no, but such as we have, we'll give to you. And they heal him. And uh, he's not healed like uh, just barely, so he doesn't like limp with them onto the temple. Now, it says he was leaping and jumping and praising God. And this man was lame since birth. So this is a miracle, and the Jewish authorities never quite know what to do with these miracles. Uh, So they hauled John and uh, Peter in for uh, an interrogation. So they interrogate him. Everything goes well. Um, but the brethren that they were with are a little worried because there's some precedent that's been set that if you get hauled before the Jewish authorities, bad things might happen to you. Um, recent history, you know, they're the Messiah. But everything's okay, so they end up back with the brethren. And the brethren are very thankful that Peter and John have have escaped, you know, uh, persecution by the religious authorities. And so in Thanksgiving, they, they, all the brethren begin to pray together. They, they're corporately praying. What they pray is Psalm 2. And uh, so we pick it up in uh, Acts 4, 
23, it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they, the brethren, heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? So that's directly from Psalm 2. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointing. So one of the reasons I share this is because I want you to understand that in the psalm, you're going to hear three different voices. You're going to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear the voice of Jesus, the Son, and the voice of the Father. All three voices, all three persons of the Trinity speak in this psalm. And... Um, The brethren here are saying, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through our father, David. So after they had prayed, it says in verse 31, the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So I promise you are shaking. There it is, okay? They, they were praying this psalm, Psalm 2, and after they were finished praying, the place they were in was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Word of God. I would just add here that God has given us the same Holy Spirit. He's given us the same Word. And if we speak it boldly and faithfully, we can also expect God will meet us powerfully. So Psalm 2 is a conversation. And we get to overhear it. It's a conversation that goes on between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is kind of serving as the narrator. So I'm just going to read through the whole psalm. It's only 12 verses. And then we'll go back and look at it. So, uh, Dwayne, put that first slide up there. So starting out, Why do the nation conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in, heavens, in, the he in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, Jesus. Or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So that's the psalm. It's a conversation. I don't know if you've kind of noticed, but over on the side, I, I put a little notation about who actually is speaking in that section. So now let's go back and un unpack it a little bit. 
So going back to the first three verses, why do nations conspire and the people plot in vain? I also promised you a conspiracy theory, right? This is it. The nations are conspiring. People are plotting. Against the Lord, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers together, band together, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Now, we think of chains and shackles. The image that comes to mind is one of captivity, oppression, and who do these chains and shackles belong to that they're trying to cast off? They belong to the Lord and His anointed. So, what the conspirators here are saying is basically, we're desperate to break off these chains and shackles. These chains and shackles are restraining devices. But God as the definer or designer is also the definer we say that a lot um, he establishes boundaries he establishes restraint and we're always trying to throw them off we're always trying to throw off the shackles and the the lie is by throwing off the shackles the constraints of god we will find freedom that's the lie does that sound familiar? It should sound familiar. If we go back to Genesis, think about Genesis. What was the lie? The lie was God said not to eat of a certain tree or you would surely die. And the enemy came and said, uh, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of that tree? So the constraint, the, the boundary that God set uh, what the conspirators in the psalm would call, call a shackle or a bond uh, was actually for our good because he said if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. All these trees you can eat of, but of that tree, that's prohibited. That's a boundary. God is allowed to set boundaries on our behavior as his creatures. So the enemy lies to us and says that if we, if we cast off those shackles, if we cast off those boundaries, we'll find freedom, but we don't. The enemy said to the woman, he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You have an enemy, and his plan is to destroy you. It's that simple. He hates you. He hates God wishes to destroy you he's a liar he's a deceiver he's the original disseminator of misinformation okay so the misinformation here is did god really say if you're if you hear this whispered to you in your heart beware be on guard and study the scriptures study what god says in his words so that when that question comes did god really say you'll know what he said and you can respond with that this is what jesus did in the wilderness you know the enemy came to him and tempted him and he just came back with the word of god very simply so we want to know what god has really said 
So what is it about these chains and shackles? What's the truth about them that uh, these conspirators want to throw off? So I have, uh, I have, a, I have a, a slide, I think, that shows like, what the truth of these chains and shackles is all about. And it's, it's, it's pretty... Oh, I guess chains and shackles are a matter of perspective, aren't they? So God's perspective on these things is different than ours. You know, this little girl may think that her father's putting chains and shackles on her, but he's not. He's putting a restraint on her for her good because he loves her. And when we look at the commandments of God, when we look at the prohibitions that God has put on certain behaviors, when we look at God's commandments about how we should treat one another, how we should live, think about this little girl and her father because that's what's going on god is putting these things on us he's putting parameters on our life and behavior for our good because he knows that going outside those boundaries he set those parameters that he's given us there's death you know there's death and we don't always see it you know i'm sure after eve ate the apple and adam followed her they went we didn't die but we know they did they lost their fellowship with god and that's the cause of everything all evil that's happened since then is that lie john first john 5 3 says in fact this is love for god to keep his commandments so you know if you're praying like how can i love you more lord how can i love you more keep his commandments this is love for God, to keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. They're for our good. They're not a burden that God is putting on us. They're for our good. All right, so back to our psalm. And verse 4, The one enthroned in heaven, in, in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying... I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. So at this point, the Holy Spirit is showing what God's response is to these conspirators saying, we just want to throw off your, these shackles that you've put on us, these, these bonds. And the Lord laughs at them. He scoffs at them. It says he's enthroned in heaven. Being enthroned in heaven gives you a different perspective on things than the rulers on the earth. And the Father, God the Father, says one thing. And I promise you identity politics. So, these are identity politics. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. End of story. That's God's politics. God's politics are, I've installed my king. What are you going to do about it? How will you respond? Will you worship him? Will you bow the knee to him? Will you call him Lord? And that's God's politics. We have our own politics, but those are the most important politics. The fact that he's installed his king. So a few, just a few things about this king and his throne. This is from Acts 17. I like this story. It says, 
But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace and formed a mob and started a riot in the city. So things haven't changed a lot, have they? You can still go out in the, market lot, in the marketplace and you can round up a bunch of bad characters, form a mob, and start a riot. So they did. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have come here. And Jason welcomed them into his house and they are all defying Caesar's decrees and they are saying there is another king, one called Jesus. And this is what we as Christians are saying to our world today. There is another king, one called Jesus. And regardless of whatever you see in the culture around you, whatever social media is shouting at you, there is another king, and his name is Jesus. And we are to proclaim his kingdom, and yes, just like these men in Jason's day, cause trouble. We're supposed to cause trouble. And believe me, if you go around proclaiming that there's another king and his name is Jesus, you will cause trouble. And that's good. It says in Philippians that God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right now, on the throne of heaven, at the right hand of the majesty on high, reigns Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King. He's fully God. He's fully man. And God is asking us, will you bow your knee to the one I have installed on my holy mountain? Will you worship Him? Will you serve Him? Will you in fact be shackled and bound to Him? and call Him Lord. That's the challenge for us. In Revelation 1.4, He's called the ruler of the kings of the earth. In Ephesians, it says, God has placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's our Jesus. Back to Psalm 2. Verse 7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. Now this is Jesus, the Son, if you're following this, and He is quoting the Father. He's talking about the promise that the Father made to Him. He said to me, the Father said to me, this is Jesus quoting the Father, you are my son, today I have become your father. Now this is not a chronological thing. It's not like yesterday I wasn't your father, but today I became your father. What he's doing is he's basically saying, let everybody hear this. Let everybody know, this is my son and I am your father. Does this sound familiar? If you go to the Jordan, John the Baptist, Dove descends. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is parallel to this. There's also other parallels in Acts 13. We're talked about 
It says, we will tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. So this is Jesus quoting the father. And he goes on to say, ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Jesus has a rod of iron. And it's a rod of justice. And it's a rod of judgment. It is uh, called in another place in Hebrews the scepter of justice. The iron scepter. There's a number of verses, a lot of them from uh, Revelation, where we see the end of all things, where it talks about this rod of iron, this iron scepter, this scepter of justice. So as we go on, you'll see there's a warning in this psalm. And a blessing. Verse 10 says, Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Here's the warning. And the warning is to, it's to Donald Trump, it's to Joe Biden, it's to Putin and Zelensky, it's to the United States Congress, the Taliban, Xi Jinping, the Chinese Communist Party, the European Parliament, all these governments and kings and rulers and people in authority, this is the warning that God has. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate His rule with trembling. Kiss His Son or He will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For His wrath can flare up in a moment. So in this psalm, we also see the side of God that is wrathful. We go like, ah, I don't like this fear and trembling and anger and wrath. I don't like all this. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He laid down His life for us as a sacrifice, willingly. John the Baptist also said, at the Jordan, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So He is the Lamb King. Christ is the Lamb. Another verse says we were bought with, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ, a Lamb without blemish or spot. So Jesus is the Lamb of God. And there is a gentle side to Christ. But he's also called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And there's this famous passage from C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where Mr. Beaver is discussing Aslan with Susan, the heroine of the story. And Aslan, the lion, is allegorically representing Jesus. And the conversation goes like this. Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion says Mr. Beaver. 
Ooh, says Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I think that's a good reminder about Jesus. By the way, that's not a stock photograph from the internet. I took that from an open-sided Land Rover in the Maasai Mara in Kenya. I was about 15 feet away from that. It's not a telephoto lens either. I did not feel safe when I took that picture. So in Christ, the justice and judgment and mercy and forgiveness of God are all brought together. He's the Lamb, but He's also the Lion. If your Jesus doesn't have a scepter of iron, He's not the Jesus of the Bible. Okay? He's not the King who's ruling. He is both. He has a rod of iron and He has a cross. So, He's the cornerstone. I, there's a beautiful section in Matthew 21 and Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. He's talking about Himself and He's talking about Psalm 118. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. He says, and anyone who falls on this stone, He's talking about Himself. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone whom it falls on will be crushed. So two pictures here. Anyone who falls on this stone, speaking of himself, will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And those are the two things. We can fall on Jesus and be broken. And He and His love and forgiveness and grace will put us back together, transform our hearts, make us new. But we have to fall on Him and be broken. That's humility. That's we come to Him in humility and be broken. And then the other side is anyone on whom He falls will be crushed. That's the judgment side. And there is wrath and there is judgment from God coming on wickedness and evil. It's there, and it will happen. So the challenge, and the challenge that's in this psalm, I don't want to leave you there. When I was, when I, when I was sharing with my wife about what I was going to talk about this morning, and I got to that part, she goes, I wonder if anybody will come back next week. You know? Um. I'm not going to leave you there. So let's go back to uh, our psalm. Because the very last verse in the psalm is, Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. The Lord created a refuge for us. You're like, well, what, what's the refuge from? Ultimately, the refuge is from Him. Because when He comes in His judgment to judge sin and wickedness 
and those who have cast off the boundaries that he set, those who have rejected him and turned away from him. When he comes to judge sin, um, he created a place for us to be in Christ, a place of safety and refuge, a place where it says we're hidden. Colossians 3 says, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. We're hidden in that refuge. So that's the choice that we have. Is accept the Son, bow the knee to the King that He installed, embrace His rule. I like the, the one verse in the Psalm says, celebrate His rule. In other words, we're not supposed to like begrudgingly accept it. We're supposed to celebrate the rule of God in our life, the rule of this King Jesus. And Lord, teach us to do that. Teach us to celebrate your rule in our life. So that's what we're left with. We're left with, we can turn away from God, cast off His shackles, or we can embrace Him. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank You that there's a throne of judgment, but there's also a throne of grace. We thank You for the King You've installed, our Lord Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, when we have foolishly cast aside the restraints of Your teaching and Spirit and gone our own way, thinking it is best. Holy Spirit, help us as You have instructed us in this psalm to celebrate the rule of Christ in our lives, in our families, in our church, and in our community. Give us grace, we pray, Lord, to obey You in all things. In the name of Your King Jesus, we ask this for our good, for Your glory. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon for our live Sunday service at 9.30, 11 a.m. or 11 a.m. online. Thanks for listening.